Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Monday, September 26th, 2011. This is episode 85. As usual, I am Paul Fox, and joining me from his super-secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, Paul. Hello, everyone. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm good. Paul, how are you doing? I'm all right. I think you're about to get really busy, though, right? Yeah. um, Well, this week we have the press conference for the Hong Kong Asian Film Festival, so... The next week or so, we'll be planning and trying to figure out a schedule because that's when the schedule comes out. It comes out tomorrow. Um, then you have the Chinese Panorama that's also coming around the same time. So next week, we'll be buying tickets and, and getting getting the schedule done and everything. And the next thing you know, October 18th, that's when it all starts. Yeah, and, and I was just looking at the basic lineup. I mean, not even talking about f- festivals, but we've got like two local films almost every week for the next few weeks. Yeah, that's right. We have um, what well, we have 1911, the Jackie Chan film coming up, and also uh, Sorcerer and the White Snakes. That's this week, and then the week after that, I think we have 33D Invader finally. Um, then you have Miro. Uh, I think on the 13th, coming two lakes, two two weeks uh, late after China. Um, what else? Then after that, the festival begins. Um, so also the 13th, you have um, actually no 13th. We have three local movies, Paul. Uh, do we? What do we have? Yes, we have The Woman of Mirror Lake. That's yeah. the Herman Yao uh, patriotic film. You have uh, Miro, uh, the Gordon Chan film, and also Love uh, You You, Jingo Ma's uh, follow-up, thematic follow-up to mm. Summer Holiday. Excellent. Sorry, Angela Baby. Yeah, so lots, lots of stuff we're going to be watching, um, plus all the festival stuff that you'll probably be out covering and I'll be longingly thinking about from afar. Ah, uh, you can catch a few, right? A, I'm, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm, I'm hoping to catch a few of the China Panorama and uh, but I don't know, you know, I've got quite a few assignments and and work is piling up, and it's just craziness in October. You know, yeah, I feel you, dude. Um, but yeah, we're here to talk about films, and we're here to talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. Uh, before we get into the news, though, I do want to say that uh, we're talking about three films this week. What are those films, Kevin? Uh, for East Green, we'll be covering uh, the Malaysian film I Love Wing Chun. Um, I love Wing Chun, but I don't love this movie, by the way. Um, and then we also have uh, the China um, idol film, My Kingdom. For West Green, we'll have Zookeeper, which uh, only I've seen. Mm. Uh, fortunately, only I've seen. So <laughs> fortunately, you've been spared. <laughs> spared, have I? Um, yes. Well, yes, those are the films we'll be talking about in just a moment after some news. But before we get into that, I do want to throw out a little bit of a shout out to Michael Sun, who was brave enough to join us this past weekend for I Love Wing Chun with our little movie group. He came out and he he braved the China Chem Cinema and he braved the film and we appreciate him joining us. And he is a blogger himself. He is a webmaster of a website called uh, 21cb.net, which I believe stands for 21 Century Boys, if you're kind of up on pop culture and Japanese manga and Japanese films. 
Um, and his site is basically a site that looks at, you know, all kinds of interesting stuff from Asia. It's Asia-centric, so they look at popular culture, they look at news, um, sometimes politics, whatever uh, he's able to get in and write about, and sometimes he has some guest correspondence on as well. So if that kind of stuff interests you, do take a chance to um, stop by and visit his site, and uh, hopefully he we didn't scare him off. Hopefully he'll be out again for another movie night. Yeah, I was telling him that the initiation to our little movie group is always, and and unintentionally, I swear, unintentionally, the first movie of someone new in the movie group is always terrible movies. My own, my initiation movie to the movie group was uh, back in 2005 with Kung Fu Mahjong 3. But uh, I feel truly sorry for Michael because this is by far the worst yeah. initiation well, film. Well, you, you know, you do share a little bit of in, in common with him then because of some of the cast from that film carrying over into this film, right? Yes, yeah. yes, apparently so. Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment, but for now, let's get on to some news. All right, so we are kind of on an off night. We're doing this on a Monday night here in Hong Kong, when normally we do it on Tuesday. Um, but as Kevin mentioned, he's got uh, the press conference to prepare for, and he's got some other films and screenings coming up. So we've kind of had to push the week forward a little bit, so we don't have a whole lot of news to cover uh, one story did catch my eye, and I think we talked a little bit about this last week, with the Chinese remake of the film J Dangerous Liaisons. Um, this article coming from our favorite site, um, Film Biz Asia, by Patrick Freider, uh, dated Monday, 26th of September, which is today. Um, it says that they've upped the budget for the film. Uh, the company reports that the production budget has now climbed from $15 million, um, that it announced back in June, to Redmond B, 200 million or about 31 million. Um, and it says that veteran actress Lisa Liu and Sean Doe, um, who you might remember from last year from Under the Hawthorne Tree, uh, have been attached to the film as well. Sadly, um, no Zhou Dongyu. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. It, that that would be an instant sell for me if they said they were attaching her to the film. But no, she's not there. We still got Cecilia Chung and uh, Zhang Zi. So I don't know. What do you think, Kevin? Is this going to make for a better film or just a more expensive film? This scares me. Seriously, this news scares me. Um, I wrote on the blog uh, a month or two ago um, predicting that the salary salary bump for actors in China as it continues to... Um, Donnie now getting 25 million, uh, 25 million yuan a movie. Charlie and Fat is at 40. Um, Zhang Zi got, uh, according to the report, what, 20? I think 20. Um, and Cecilia, I think, got 18. And actually, Cecilia is replacing, rumored, uh, at least rumor-wise, uh, she's replacing Maggie Chun, who would have gotten a lot higher higher salary, I predict. Um, it's getting pretty scary. 200 million, dollars, 200 million yuan, this is just 10 million yuan short of Shaolin, and they rebuilt the entire temple for crying out loud for that movie. Mm. So this this is um, a very scary development actually in terms of Chinese cinema because it's really truly a case where it seems like the star salary you have Zhang Donggun, you have Zhang Ziyi, you have Cecilia Chen. Those three probably only took up at least twenty percent of the budget. If you think about it, um, and it's a dangerous development for Chinese film because as as salary um, for talent continue to go up, you still don't. These stars are still not really proven to be guaranteed for box office. Um, at least not to the point where they would help the, the 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 producers make back the two times, three times the budget they need to make to even break even in the first place. 
So you think about this is actually kind of scary. I'm not sure whether the story deserves this kind of treatment. Um, Zombo Media, uh, I just checked, uh, has only produced, I think, two other films in the past, three other films in the past, and none of them had nearly as big of a budget as this. Uh, director Her Jin Ho is um, the Korean director. He's better known for art house uh, films like uh, One Fine Spring Day and Christmas in August. Those films I love, but he has never made something this huge before. Yeah. Uh, he is always kind of an art house director. Um, he never got, even though those films were, were commercially successful, he's never made a film that required this big of a budget. So this, yeah, so all these things add up to one scary project, Paul. Hmm. Yeah, and you know, it's kind of interesting when you think about it with sort of the young film market that's i want to say re-emerging because the film market has been there in china for a while but then you know during the cultural revolution it was all focused on propaganda films but so now it's now it's emerging it's following more of a commercialized model to some extent um it's interesting because you know you think of all the mistakes that hollywood made with you know films like cleopatra you know those big epic spectacles that they just threw so much money at they hired all these big names to come in and and fill out the roles of the film and then they just ended up being utter flops mm -hmm. at the end and i'm wondering if you know china is eventually going to start hitting some of those you know the, if this is going to be like the water world of uh you know uh beijing hollywood it's already happened this couple of years look at shaolin it made 200 million yuan but it just made its budget back but actually it's a flop if you consider how much they have to uh uh break apart they have to share uh, at least half the revenue of the theater so uh if you think about it they only make back 100 million yuan for 200 million yuan production that's uh i would say that's a flop um the two uh the two donnie yen movies this year so far uh, uh lost blazeman wuxia both have actually are losing money despite having a, a box office gross higher than their um than than their budget um Again, there's that news about about Chan Fat, you know, commanding 40 million yuan a movie. I mean, half most of Chinese movies don't even make 40 million yuan. Mm. Um, so that's why this is going to this this whole popping uh, this salary thing is just gonna go bigger and bigger, and it's just gonna keep the Chinese industry continue to grow. Uh, the bubble will just continue to grow until it pops, and I think it's gonna pop sooner than later. Mm. Uh, another thing about this salary, um, these a lot of these. Um, are, are actually only applied to Hong Kong actors. Uh, Chinese actors are still commanding very little money in comparison. For example, Ge Yo, who was in all three of the major major um, Chinese films last uh, December, if you're the one to uh, let the bullets fly and sacrifice, he still only commands about five million yuan a movie. Yeah, well, and that's it, one. Yeah, isn't it true that like Wang Bo will just work for a bowl of noodles? Yeah, I think Wang Bo and that's how they got a, him on Fit Lover. Yeah, and a soy sauce, an egg, egg dipped in soy sauce. He was in Fit Lover, right? He was the. Yeah, but I think everyone got maybe maybe a pack of instant noodles. There's so many of them in there. <laughs> they had to share like half a pack of instant noodles. You know, Eason and uh, Renee Liu got paid in those yogurt drinks from uh... <laughs> the Yili. And no, I think Eason got paid in Lacoste shirts. Oh yeah, that that too. Yeah, it's a little bit anyway, more this, high this, end. Um, this is actually very um, also harmful for Hong Kong cinema because you know that Hong Kong cinema cannot afford to pay people this this kind of uh, salary, uh, and this hurts you know lower to mid budget films. Uh, Andy Lau to get to get a simple a simple life made. He had to get it done through his uh, production company. I would expect that he took only a fraction of his usual fee to be in that film. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring up this point. I mean, 
if we were to look at the last few Chow Yun Fat features set in China, what did he do? He did Confucius. Confucius, Let the did, Bullets Fly. Um, Let the Bullets Fly, and he did, uh, what was that one with John Cusack? Shanghai? Uh, Shanghai, yeah, yeah. Shanghai is a different deal, though. You but um, I think, yeah, I mean, that was before the days of um, 40 million. But yeah, I. I but I, I mean, to... if the films are not doing that well, you'd think that nobody would want to find him for that fee. You know, you'd think that they'd say, uh, you know, we like you, Mr. Chow, but you're not working for us anymore. Um, I think after Let the Bullets Fly, Let the Bullets Fly made a ton of money. So that's kind of the outlier. Mm. But you're right, Confucius, uh, Shanghai, they did not earn back their money. Um, and part of it is because uh, the actors charge such a high fee. Uh, I'm not sure. That's why I'm not sure how long this is going to last. Um, Chow Fat actually is taking his usual Hollywood fee. Um, already, this 5 million US is kind of low. It's kind of what he would expect in Hollywood. Jet Li actually, I think, takes even a higher fee because he commands about eleven, twelve million dollars in the states. Hmm. So imagine, and I think commands a similar rate in in, in China. Um, so uh, that's the that's kind of a bad. Uh, like I said, I think I think this whole the actors aren't really getting to a point where they can earn that gross back. I mean, I think Treasure Hunt hasn't even made bad make back a Cecilia's salary yet. Hmm. That's how that's how little it grows. So um, it's. It's, I don't think the Chinese film industry has gotten to a point where you can have the star system yet. There are stars, and they surely help the pedig- pedigree of the films, but I don't think they've... It's not really one of those um, where you put in the investment and you make double the return. It's more like you put in the investment, you make back maybe two-thirds of your money if you're lucky. Hmm. So they should just hire Zhou Dongyu, her fees. Zhou Dongyu for everything. Still That's relatively right. small. So. Or, or Gui Lumei, yeah. Gu- yeah. Gui, Gui for everything. It's also great. <laughs> All right, uh, you've got a bit of news about uh, China and Hong Kong deciding on their Oscar picks. That's right. Uh, both China and Hong Kong have officially announced uh, their representatives for the uh, Best Foreign Film Race at the Academy Awards. Hong Kong, as expected, will be sending Anne Hui's A Simple Life. Uh, Dini Yip just won the Best Actress Award over at Venice, so that kind of solidified the choices. Now, um, I, I, I also I, I didn't highlight it, but there was another story over on uh, Film Asia saying that because of because of that win, they've been having screenings of the film, early screenings of the film here in Hong Kong to qualify. But mm-hmm. uh, I didn't see any tickets on sale. Ah, here, okay. I'm I'm gonna get into this after um I finish talking about the the China and Hong Kong thing. So I'll get into because both both places are doing the same same thing. Um, yeah, the Simple Life doesn't open until March 2012 in Hong Kong. Uh, China has also picked the Zhang Yimou um, 90 million US dollar uh, epic Flowers of War starring Christian Body, uh, Christian Bale, sorry, uh, Christian Bale. Um, and it, it, it's China's, China's most expensive film and it's opening in December. Um, but they are um, submitting to the Oscars uh, because, well, simply again, it's based on pedigree. Um, Here's the thing. The rules for the Academy Awards uh, for the Best Foreign Film Race is that the film must have opened in um, at least had a week of screenings in their home country um, before September 30th. So between uh, October 1st and September 30th. Um, I don't know how that works because, you know, October 1st to December 31st is kind of 2010, right? Um, So um, what what they have to do is they've had to put in a week of um, very very low low profile, uh, very small screening um, in one only one theater in the city um, in China that way Beijing uh, only one theater um, selling two hundred yuan a ticket 
and actually no one really knowing, confirming that uh, it's open to the public because it seems like um, they're only allowing mostly the staff of the of the production company get in. Um, Hong Kong, similar thing. They put it in one very, very small theater, um, playing two shows a day, um, and it's still continuing on uh, actually until I think Wednesday, if not Thursday. Um, here's the thing. They first opened the showing they put they put the showing in a ticketing system but they essentially allowed tickets to go away very quickly or they weren't it was automatically sold out but because of the um, high profile of the film apparently some people complained i uh, wrote to apple daily um and so after apple daily reported it then the distributor had to come out and cover their cover their butts saying no no they're all completely open we just think andy lao fans are snapping them really quickly and the hong kong film awards also had to respond saying they're gonna send people to monitor the screenings so after last um tuesday so after so two days before the official screening starts after they sold tickets for four days of free four days of screening they when the any new screen they opened after that was actually open to the public uh, at least half the house. They opened it at a 32-seat theater in I-Square, I think, the smaller one, the smallest one. Uh, and they also put it at really odd times, like 11.40 a.m. and 3.20 p.m. on weekdays to make sure as little people see it as possible. But at least now they can say, not one, we have public screenings, and two, we can prove that we actually have people that can you know, say that they bought tickets to it. But that's only after Apple Daily reported it. But why are they doing that? They do this every year, actually. They do this every year um, because the official the way they, they set opening dates is that they want to maximize commercial potential. Last year, uh, I think, what movie did this? Last year, Echoes of the Rainbow did this because I was at one of the screenings. No, last year wasn't Apple. Sorry, two years ago was Echoes of the Rainbow. I was actually at one of these early screenings um, at the Newport because I was invited. I never, I didn't have to buy a ticket for it. Um, years before that, you had 14 Blades, which automatically had a week of screenings at Golden Harvest Mongkok, but never opened to the public because, of course, they want to keep it closed. Um, I wonder qualify. why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these are actually mostly to qualify for the, um, the, the Hong Kong Film Awards because the Hong Kong Film Awards dictate that you must showed the film for a week before December uh, 30th, 31st to qualify. And this is a loophole because um, the way they schedule the film, they want to maximize the commercial potential, uh, but they also want to qualify for the awards so that they can get the they can get that commercial potential through the nominations. Um, case of Simple Life, they're planning to open it in March because that's around the time when the Hong Kong Film Awards was uh, for the Hong Kong Film Awards. I mean, surely you know that Dini Yip is definitely a lock for a nomination now, but I think I don't think the distributor uh, expected that the buzz would begin so quickly because I don't think anyone expected Dini Yip to win the the Best Actress award, and now I think that whole strategy is kind of falling back or it's kind of blowing in their face because now they have to sustain this buzz for another half a year before well, people can see the. Film. I mean, aren't the film awards in February March? Yes, but the the qualifying period is of course January to. December. Right. So, but what I'm saying is, I mean, technically, they could have her win for the Hong Kong Film Awards before the film's actually released here in Hong Kong. Yes. Yeah. Actually, no. It's around March because I remember it's around Film Mart. Yeah. It's around Film Mart, so it's around March or April. So, um, if they're opening in March, so that should be right between the nominations and the actual award show, if not a week before the award show, if not right after the award show. Mm. So they're they're. Even if they're not counting on it to win anything, they're at least counting on a lot of nominations for it in order to to get the 
uh, at least in theory, that was they were what they were going for. Uh, like I said, they didn't expect uh, Dinyup to win so early, and I think they have to lock this because they're working out with theaters, and and they also have to work it out uh, with the Chinese. Um, mainland Chinese release schedule. So now they're kind of stuck in the bind. And the thing is, if they were just showing it to Hong Kong, they could, you know, adjust opening dates really quickly. I think it would be a great year-end film. I think um, around December, November, that's when you gain, everyone still remembers the win. Um, you have these advanced screenings where the buzz has been building because there's actually a lot of good good work coming out of those screenings. Open in November, open in early December, or even in the holidays, bam, you got at least 10 million mm. based on those buzz. But, you know, there's too many things to work out in the Chinese Hong Kong co-production world because you have to work it out with China. You have to approve a censorship. You have to um, start promotion early. You also have to worry about um, whether the scheduling is right for China because you have December and then New New Year. And then, you know, and so now it's a mess. I, I have no idea how they're going to sustain this because when Echoes of the Rainbow won, it won in, it won in Berlin in January or February. So they only had that one month. That was when the, when the word was hot. Um, then the government came out and talked about preserving that street. And then the movie was $25 million hit. Hmm. Um, I don't think they can sustain the buzz for half a year. And I don't, think, I don't think the film will do as well as it would have if they opened it a little earlier around the end of the year. But that's just what I think. And then actually, they would, then it would qualify for the Hong Kong Film Award legitimately instead of using these loophole screenings. Um, and it's a little frustrating, but that's that's the world we we're living in. All right, so we've got two movies for East Screen this week. The first one coming fresh out of the land called Malaysia, I guess. Although you wouldn't know it with all the Hong Kong actors who are dotting the landscape of this film. Um, I love Wing Chun, and what can I say? It's got Yun Wah and Yun Chu in it, who are the famous couple from Kung Fu Hustle. I think they've gotten more mileage out of that film uh, than probably any other Hong Kong couple in history. And they're still milking it, and along with a lot of other Stephen Chow gags that kind of show up in, rare, in odd places in this film. Basically, to talk about the story, I'm not sure if there is one still. Um... It starts out with a character named uh, Don who's sent to find another character named Wing for his boss, um, who's supposed to be Nat Chan, I guess, his boss's boss. And so, so they end up going out into the countryside, into Malaysia, and they, to find this Wing who's living with his aunt and uncle, played by Yunhua and uh, Yunchu. And he knows Wing Chun. He's like a super Wing Chun star. He's been taught by his aunt and uncle. And they just live out in the middle of nowhere. They're they're in hiding for for some reason because they want to wanted to escape the martial world and they wanted to protect Wing or or, or something. I don't know. It's not, oh, most of Malaysia looks like that. That's yeah, what I just thought. <laughs> none, none of this is really clear. Um, so Don gets together with his sister and a couple friends. One who's a very effeminate uh, stereotype, which uh, I'm surprised they're still pushing those kind those kind of uh models for humor but there you have it it's like the, the the four of them they pile into this volkswagen van with flames on it and they head out into the wilderness into the outback of malaysia to find a uh, uh wing who comes across as sort of the typical bumpkin character now wing himself speaks mandarin 
his aunt and uncle speak Cantonese. We learn through flashbacks that his dad speaks Cantonese. Um, so go figure. I Malaysian education system in in the wilderness. I, I couldn't figure that part out. Um, so they go they go to find him. They need to bring him back. On the way of bringing him back, they get in a couple fights. And then they're told to go to Wing Chun Street, where they are... It, it, everything on this street called Wing Chun Street is a, a form of Wing Chun. So they've got Wing Chun Dim Sum. They've got Wing Chun Sushi. They've got Wing Chun Massage Parlor. They've got Wing Chun, Wing Chun Mahjong. And what this serves as is a... F- you know, little different skits or vignettes, like you might see on Saturday Night Live, that are really hit and miss. And what they're doing there, they spend a long time there. They spend like half the movie there, which really has nothing to do with the main story. So by the time they leave Wing Chun Street, you've forgotten what the main story was. Uh, But then they kind of show up at Nat Chan's house and they try to get back on track. They never really make it. Um, yeah, that's that's the story. I mean, if, it, it, Nat Chan wants Wing because there's a supposedly, supposedly a tattoo of a treasure map on his butt that was put there as a child, and you wouldn't be able to read it until he became an adult because, you know, obviously his butt will have gotten bigger. Um, uh, you know, plot hooks for the win. What can I say? Mm. Um, and this was an interesting film because it came from Malaysia, so it had three subtitles for the price of two. Normal Hong Kong films have a Chinese subtitle, and an English subtitle. And this one had a Bahasa Indonesia uh, subtitle on the top, or Bahasa Malaysia subtitle on the top, and then the Chinese, and then the English. And my eyes had a hard time adjusting, let me tell you. It took me a while to get used to that. Um, But, yeah, I mean, so it's from Malaysia, lots of Hong Kong stars, but who the rest of the folks were, no idea. I guess there's some up-and-coming Malaysian actors and kids... um, as I said, lots of old Stephen Chow jokes. The gags were really hit and miss. Um, and, you know, what else is there to say? Uh, <laughs> do we really care about any of this by the end? Not really. I mean, um, well, yeah, it's free it. I mean, if you really <laughs> want to see it, spend not a dime. And, uh, you know, unless you can get it for free, waste not your time. But don't take it from me, okay? Because I went to, uh, as I was doing some searching for some information on this movie, this movie is so low budget, I guess, or so unknown that it doesn't even actually appear on Asian Media Wiki yet. Hmm. Um, They do have it over at at the the Cinemagic site, the the, the French site. Those guys are just on top of everything. I mean, my God, they're amazing. Um, But yeah, there's this, um, I want to say Malaysia, Yahoo Malaysia uh, has it listed. And there's a review, and I just want to read this review very briefly. The guy says, What I really hated. Wirt storyboard, no direction, silly jokes, cheap production. I thought of watching Cantonese or Mandarin comedy after about a year of waiting. Nonetheless, this is the worst ever comedy movie I ever watched. The story is so lousy, poor acting with silly jokes, cheap production, and nothing to do with Wing Chun. Right? That's sort of the main poet there's there's a couple donnie yen gags from the Ipman movies that are kind of thrown in and that's about it i mean even the martial arts that they do that the fight choreography is just not worth um two cents really it's just not very well shot not very well choreographed it's not meant to be it's it's a throwaway comedy basically um but before you throw anything away like your free time you might want to think twice kevin what can you add 
I want to get in the projector room and throw that print away. Jeez, that's how throwaway it is. Um, yeah, I, I once had a, I bought Stormriders on a Pirate of ECD long, 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 long time ago, back in 1998, and that's it had that same preset of subtitles. So now I know where it's from. It's from the Malaysian print. Um, and that's the print we got, I think, here in Hong Kong, the Malaysian print, because who the hell would, would bother making a, a, a special print for Hong Kong with this movie? I mean, yeah. they, they should be burning all the prints. I don't know. Um, if this is the future of Malaysia commercial cinema, then bring back the art stuff. I don't even mind anymore. I just sleep through them. I'll live through it. At least those films are respectable. This is just... Ugh. Ugh. I, I can't even think of a, a regular normal English word to describe it. Um... It's written by, I guess, uh, Malaysian filmmakers, I suppose. Uh, Malaysia is a fairly large Cantonese-speaking population, so it's no surprise. It feels like it's written by a group of people who really liked Hong Kong films uh, from 10 years ago. <laughs> and that's how they wrote it. There's a lot of like Cantonese dialogue that felt like they were pos- posing Hong Kong people. But, you know, the they had a little weird accent going on. Um, the use of Cantonese is very interesting. Um, I watched a couple of Malaysian films before. Um, and also, of course, Patrick Tam's After This uh, Exile, which is which takes place in Malaysia and shot in Malaysia. Um, and they have a very interesting culture there, the mix of languages and daily life and and just how these people of different religions, uh, they interact with each other. Uh, and this film, I wish there was a little more insight into that. I think there was a lot of a few local pop culture references, like some of the cameos where the camera sticks on a certain person for a little longer than you would think and i think that's like one of those um local pop culture reference but i would like a little more like a little more relevant to to malaysian culture i suppose um story what what story the first 20 minutes and the last 15 minutes are quote unquote the story stuff you know there's things happening i guess but the whole middle part like you said the the wing chun street is all sketches it's just all like really bad saturday life sketches and the sketches repeat themselves. I thought of at least two. I found at least two sketches where it felt like they made. They didn't really have a script for the film yet, and they filmed two versions of the same of, of like the same joke or the uh, similar sketches, and they just played it back to back in the movie. Uh, especially one about uh, Brian Burrell and and through the Wing Chun School. And I think there was one with um, a group of these bullies that they're like that show up twice and no one. And some finally, until someone questions, "Hey, those guys are familiar. Why are they all here again?" Yeah, um, yeah, and they they were the same guys that just got beat up, and yeah, just... the same guys just got beat up and somehow got to this restaurant before they did. Yeah. And then and then finally, and some I think there was a throwaway extra shot they shot at the end of the day. It's like, "Hey, those guys look familiar. Why are they here again?" Like it's like someone remembered, like you have a light bulb on their head. Eureka! Like, oh my god, we're shooting the same same version, same sketch twice. We should say something. Um, so it was really lame. It, that whole middle part is interminable. Um, I did laugh a few times, I have to say, but it was really like they shot a million paintballs and only hit the target four or five times. They kept going at you with these lame jokes again and again and again and again and again, and then finally they get you to laugh and they they call it victory. So that's how lame this movie is. Um, last week, um, I was writing on Yes Asia, the editor's pick. I wrote that virtual virtual recall was far from in in inept filmmaking because inept filmmaking. You know, you kind of think of, you know, bad editing choices or really odd camera angles or really lazy direction or really bad acting. Um, But Virtual Recall is so gloriously bad that it had to be intentional in some way. This film is inept filmmaking. 
if you know what I mean. It's really bad um, continuity, uh, bad a- bad acting, a lazy script, um, really strange um, uh, uh, storytelling. If there was any story, it's just really lazy and inept. Like the guy, the guy is kind of coming out of film school and trying to figure out how to make a movie, but he's using all these Hong Kong stars to do it. Um, apparently, this is from the film. This from the team that was behind. A little unknown masterpiece called Bar Paradise, which stars uh, Gordon Lamb and who else? Uh, Julian Chen, uh, and they all go to Thailand. And the whole movie is about this bar that's run by this beautiful woman who turns out to be a transvestite, who is actually the son of Eric Zhang, but but you would think is a daughter. Yeah, it's really weird. That movie was so bad that they couldn't get any of the stars to come back to do uh, their own lines in Cantonese. So imagine having to find that guy to imitate Eric Zhang. <laughs> It's <laughs> not, not an easy task. Yes, and that's and they actually found one. So that's how bad Far Paradise is, and this movie's even worse. So flee it, flee far, far away. If you see this movie down the street in a store, run away. Take a <laughs> take a, a long way around. Don't even touch the VCD yeah. of it. Just do do home. yourself a favor and go back and watch uh, Kung Fu Mahjong one, two, and three in order. Yes, and, and at, at the same time, you'll you'll, you'll have a better time. Honestly, I, the, my my gut reaction when I came out is I want to punch every Malaysian person who paid to watch this movie. But <laughs> I'm a lot calmer now, so um, I feel sorry for anyone who actually paid to see this movie, which is why I'm feeling sorry for myself right now. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So sit in the corner and punch yourself. Yes. Ow! Why are you punching yourself? Ow! Why are you punching yourself? Yeah. All right. So that's I love Wing Chun. And we have this. What? 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 Huh? This week in subtitles. So this week in subtitles, we have a subtitle of the week at long last. Um, I guess I should do a little bit of a setup. So in at the end of the film, there, you know, Nat Chan wants to get a look at, uh, you know, the, the character of Wing's butt so that he can see the treasure map. So he sends this other guy who's actually a, a guy from a Stephen, you know, Stephen Chow films, the one who had the... Uh, the eye the, thing. The, 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 the uh, magic the eye from, uh, yeah. what was it, um... Uh, God, no, um, All for the Winner, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, the All for the Winner and, and God of Gamblers 3, Back to Shanghai. Yes. Um, th- th- those series. So the guy who had the magic eyesight. Um, he returns, much older, in, uh, the, in, in basically trying to portray a similar role. It's a little bit of a gag. It's kind of funny if you've seen those films. But he's hired by Nat Chan to try and get a peek at, at his butt. Um, but they messed up the subtitles. And they kept saying, no one can piss at Wing's ass. <laughs> and and it was supposed to be peak, obviously. But it wasn't just one time they messed it up. It was multiple times. So some really bad job jobs on the uh, the subtitles. So There's yeah. no excuse because they should speak at least, you know, decent English in Malaysia as far as I know. Uh, or maybe, that, maybe that's what they meant. No one can piss at Wing's ass. I mean, I wouldn't want anybody to piss at my ass. Yeah, I mean, that would, I guess... If that was, if you want to see a map on my ass, you have to piss on my ass, yeah. and um, I don't let anyone piss on my ass. I'm sorry. We've got another East Screen film. Is this one any better? My Kingdom. Is it better, oh. Kevin? Can you tell us? Well, if you're saying you know, with a rotten tom- rotten apple is you know worse than a half rotten apple. I mean, that's of course the <laughs> half rotten apple would be better because you can at least eat half of it. And <laughs> that's my kingdom. My kingdom is the half rotten apple of the week. Or Yay. if you're or, or, or if you're an optimist, the un rotten half 
right? The un- yeah, at least you can eat the unrun half. And in this case, it's the parts that the actual director didn't direct. So, um, yeah, how do you want me to yeah, talk uh, about t- My Kingdom? Tell us a little bit about My Kingdom. Sure, My Kingdom is a film by director um, Gao Shao Song, who um, was a former musician or is still a musician, but actually now has um, moved on to directing. This is his third film, I think. If I understand the rumors correctly, he's also moved on to jail. Yes, he actually, before the movie came out, he uh, was caught drunk driving and was sentenced to, I think, 60 days or 30 days in prison, so he did not... Uh, I almost want to say he didn't live to see his movie open, but actually, no, he just didn't have the freedom to see his movie open. But yeah, it's been staying in touch and actually lucky him because, you know, now he's in jail, didn't have to face all the criticism for this movie. Um, this film was produced by Andre Morgan, who last partnered with Peter Chan on, um, what was it? Perhaps Love and Warlords before they had a falling out over, you know, the international version of Warlords. So he's moved on. Or, yeah, so Andre, Mr. Morgan has stayed in China and this is his latest effort. The film, uh, it's about um, a type of uh, Peking opera, I think. Uh, a type of opera that, I guess, required the, the, the actors, the opera singers to have a, at least a star, to have a, cert, uh, to have a certain um, martial arts skills. Um, so this takes place in that, in that world, um, where the, the opera world is kind of like, you could say the, the Zhang Hu underworld, but except, you know, they're all actually performing. Um, Yuan Biao plays, uh, the mighty, what is it called? Mighty opera warrior, uh, actually, which is the name that was given to him, labeled to him by the emperor, uh, the region. I mean, the subtitle is called region of China. Yeah. Um, and one I, day I'm guessing at the time period, it's like. I think 19... It, it, that would have been like Yan Shikai or uh, or uh, around that time. Just uh, as... around um, the end of The Last Emperor, and yeah. then it carries over to the beginning of the Republic, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Um, so the opening scene is uh, there's a very rich family, a big family, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm not very good with names again. Uh, one of the child is a very good opera singer, so Yuan Biao and his disciple decide to adopt him. Uh, and that's when Yuan Biao is um, labeled as the mighty troop opera singer, opera warrior, whatever. Uh, but then a, a master from the south uh, comes and essentially challenges uh, Yuan Biao to the, the plaque that proclaims him to be the mighty opera warrior. And through some dirty trick, he wins the plaque and Yuan Biao is forced to retire. Uh, so he spends the rest of his life training his two disciples. And they grow up to be the handsome Wu Jun and the even more handsome former Korean uh, pop group uh, member uh, Han Gun. So they, they, they've they reached adulthood and their their life's goal is to reclaim the plaque for their master. So they go out to Shanghai and and try to get revenge for their master and they immediately um, uh, find a troop. And through a, a challenge, a public challenge, they manage to win and they they, they, they take back the plaque and they even take over the troop. Um, the troop is run by uh, Rong Guan Rong. I don't want to. Yeah, but anyway, his, so he's, he, he runs the troop and his most uh, beloved student is played by Barbie Shu, who is also his lover. So imagine when your lover slash teacher dies, what would you want to do? Yeah. Revenge. So the rest of the movie is this kind of love, romantic triangle between. Um, I think 
Wujun Hangan and Barbie Shu, um, her her loyalty appears to be to be changing all the time. While the, these two boys are corrupted, kind of corrupted by the big city, and also um, Hang character leaves halfway through the story because he realizes he has to avenge his two hundred ninety nine dead family members. Uh, so he goes and kills the rest of the the region's family. Um, until the very last mystery, mystery member, and that rest of the movie try to spend uh, figure out who this mystery member is. Um, the rest of it is just really silly because you have this quite interesting um, world. You know, a lot of things to explore. You know, the opera. They, there's a few points where they they parallel the plot to actual famous operas, um, and I thought those stuff are interesting. And there's a whole world you can explore here. Instead, it's kind of wasted on these silly revenge stories and a lot of melodrama. Um, but the first 10 minutes are not that bad. The action scenes are directed by Sammo Hong. The action is choreographed by Sammo Hong. And those stuff are quite excellent. Actually, the first 10 minutes, you have the Yuan Bao and the other masters uh, fight. It's a very cool action scene. It's more competent than the rest of the film. But then the boys came in. Uh, one might expect kind of a fish-out-of-water story when the boys go out to Shanghai because, you know, considering that they spent, what, 10 years... 15 years in the wild, you go to a big city, there's, you're bound to run into a few few things that you're not used to. But literally, as they walk into town, they encounter the troop, and then that revenge plot just, bam, starts taking off. Um, and then, as Kozo uses on com, it all goes to hell. <laughs> um, a lot of manly crying. You have, uh, again, you have these scenes of melodrama, more melodrama than action, and they're all really brooding inside and you have a lot of scenes where they're gripping these two boys are gripping their teeth and and they have tears coming out um it's all very overwrought um they're either they're either trying to do this crying thing or they're overacting and screaming and there's lots of that there's a lot of act, silly acting moments um especially with both hangan and wujin um there's uh in case you don't know the bad the main bad guy who is the police chief i guess the police general of shanghai or of that of that part of shanghai because there's a part there's the period of time where um different nations own different parts of shanghai so this this story takes place in the british uh section of shanghai and the general in the section is played by a very famous chinese magician who is actually um who made his fame uh going on the spring the um lunar new year um cctv uh spectacular show so he's actually quite recognizable but I think this is his first acting role, and he's playing the main bad guy here. But um, him and Wu Jun and Han Gan look like they all look like they have hair that's already set for Lang Kui Fong, instead of uh, you know a day in Shanghai nineteen circa nineteen twenties. It's all really silly. Um, from forty five minutes in, um, you know, I've never seen a film that just kept climbing and climbing and climbing up the worst 10, 10 films of the year <laughs> list. Just along the way, it's like okay, number ten. It's like, okay, it's not number ten. And then, oh, and five minutes later, it was number nine. And five minutes later, number eight. Oh, my God, many crying, number five. And then just go, kept going up and up and up. And it's going to end up pretty high on my list. Uh, that's for sure. Because when you have a film where you have two very popular male male idols and even the girls behind us who are probably fans are giggling by the last 10 minutes, you know you have a failure on your hands. Um, but if you're a fan of the two, you're going to see it anyway. I don't want to tell you whether this movie sucks or not because, you know, you're going to want to see those pretty boys in the film. And... You know that's you're right, and you probably enjoy the film, but seriously, if you're not a fan of either, or you don't know these who these two people are, and you just buying this because it has Yuan Bao or, or Sammo Hong in it, 
uh, catch a VCD. <laughs> just get it on VCD, pay as little as you can for it, um, and catch it there. Or if you're around here, then you know, catch it free on the uh, on legal legal streaming sites or on movie channels or something. But seriously, otherwise, um, if you're not, if you don't know anything and you just see this Chinese opera film and you thought, oh, it could be a good action film, no, don't do it. Trust me, don't do it. Paul? Yeah, it's um the blending of the opera and the kung fu has been done before, and it's been done better in other films. Um, that being said, I, I was still kind of partial to it because I like films that revolve around uh, the stage, the opera stage, and I've spent a little bit of time studying um, that as a performance art and. There, there's not enough of that these days. And and one of the comments I said in the film was, you know, this is sort of an attempt to get young people interested in the traditional arts again because they get these two young idols to come in. And, and unfortunately, they didn't do it a, a really solid justice, I think. Um, the first half of the film is actually okay. I mean, I, I, I there there was a point where... I, I liked what was going on. I liked what I was seeing. I was getting into the story. And then, like you said, or like Kozo says, it all just goes to pot. Um, the boys really look out of place for this period of time in Shanghai. They look like their normal GQ selves yeah. um, with some slightly fancy, you know, uh, suits and clothings at, at certain points when, when they're not in their character makeup. Um, on stage mostly it just looks like they're posing for a gq cover hmm. and they look out of place they that wasn't the hairstyles of the period that you know it just it, it it kind of broke the the believability for me just from that um not that this is supposed to be an overly believable film uh, barbie sue i thought was okay um as as our friend koza likes to say she was doing her slutty barbie kind of act here I think but, not enough slutty Barbie. We were hoping yeah. there was more slutty. Not not Barbie. as much as in Reign of Assassins, which um, yeah. you know she kind of took over the top. But I think what she was doing here, and and ultimately what happens uh, through, through the latter part of the film, uh, was working okay with 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 the character. Um, there's sort of a double twist that happens, which works once you figure it out or once it's revealed. But it takes way too long to get there. I felt the film was really way too long. They needed to get rid of some of the, the, the muddly dudley stuff that took place in the latter third of it, I think. Um, yeah. and, and like you said, it's basically a film with pretty people doing some decent fight choreography um, when they're not standing around and posing and, and, and sobbing. Um, th there was a great scene right in the beginning, though, and I thought, and, and that kind of set the mood for me when, I, when, when, I was, um, when the film was just starting, and it's when the young character of uh, Urquai, who's the... Um, the Hangan character, the the, mm -hmm. the the younger brother who gets adopted, um, that his as a young boy, he's he's his family's being taken off to be executed by the prince regent, and that sort of sets up the revenge plot for later on. And Yun Biao and and the the young um, Yatlong see him, and they're having a conversation right before he's about to be executed, and he starts to sing this opera song. The kid does. And he's got an amazing voice. And I was like, oh, I want to see more of that, you know, because um, his voice just suddenly, like I said, I like opera. His voice suddenly sent chills up my spine. I know it's not for everybody, um, but that really kind of got me psyched for hoping I was going to see more of that kind of stuff. And I didn't. 
Yeah, funny. Neither of the characters was sane anymore yeah, after that. That that, that, that was it. Scene. I mean, and it was it, it was it was kind of deceptive in a way. I was kind of mad that they hmm. never really got back to anything like that. Um, but I'd say, yeah, I mean, the action scenes were decent, and you know, it is Sammo Hung doing it, and they're doing it, but they're doing it with the stage weapons, you know, and the stage weapons are not deadly um, in in any way, shape, or form. But the idea is here that these people are so masterful that they can, in fact, make them deadly. Um, so, it, you know, it, it, it really stretches the idea, you know, that, okay, these are not just opera performers, but they're, they're operating under, like you said, sort of the gongwu or the, the martial school idea where other troops will come and challenge each other in secret battles. Um, it was, it's an interesting concept. It's totally far-fetched, um, in, in many, I mean, there's definitely rivalry amongst opera schools for things like, you know, how many steps should a character take or what kind of movement will one character have over another or certain facial expressions, these kinds of things. But, you know, it's not like they ended up in stage brawls over, <laughs> over these kinds of ideas, at least from the histories I've read. I mean, there could be secret histories. I don't know. I'm just an f- outsider. Um, but, you know, I'd have to say TV it for just for Samo's action sequences and, and like you had mentioned, the decent Yun Biao fighting in the beginning. Um, and that then just, great, yeah. yeah, just kind of coast through the rest of it uh, as, as you can. Um, but for really better opera-based films, there are quite a few out there. I mean, Peking Opera Boot Blues is, you know, one of the all-time classics. Uh, the King of Masks is another one. Woman, Demon, Human is great. Or even Hong Kong's um, Demi Haunted was actually pretty decent for mm-hmm. the, you know, the way they kind of focused on, you know, Southern Cantonese opera. Um, if you can get past, you know, the, the brooding of Nick Tse and, uh, and Joey Young. Um, it's actually got a pretty decent story in it. I forgot to ask, how's it doing anyway? Do you know? Um, it didn't do that well in China considering its big fan base, but... It has been a victim of the uh, the box office uh, gouging thing. Mm-hmm. Apparently, uh, Hong Kong, forget. I think it did maybe one, not even one million. Mm-hmm. So, which is actually quite bad. Which uh, is surprising because I mean, it's like I I think all the girls at my office are huge Fahrenheit fans. So I figured right. they would have been out the first day. Um, yeah, I think for movies, um, these kind of content, they're fans are more like you know do we have time you know yeah. the, it's not really just him we'll go see 3d dna or whatever we'll go see 3d mayday or we'll just yeah. buy another album or something yeah i think yeah or they'll just download it and mm. then maybe buy a dvd later or something who knows yeah. but this movie doesn't deserve it anyway these these the kids <laughs> were dubbed actually the, the two stars are dubbed uh when their native language is mandarin so it doesn't make sense anyway for the film to go to yeah kind of weird attract fans yeah uh Pretty much everybody was. Yun Biao was dubbed. I mean, it's... yeah, no one was speaking the original voices. Yeah. yeah, you're right.
Let's talk about West Screen. We've got one West Screen film, and that is Zood Keeper, which I haven't had a chance to see. So, Kevin, it's back to you yet again. Woohoo! Um, Zoo Keeper is the latest, uh, and I hate to use that word, the latest Adam Sandler joint. Uh, he produced the film. Uh, director Frank Karachi, who did uh, Wedding Singer, and uh, I think a few other Adam Sandler flicks, directs here. Um, he Adam Sandler is also uh, he's also a voice of someone the animals. But anyway, um. The star here is Kevin James, uh, who plays Griffin, um, a very talented zookeeper in this zoo in Boston. Uh, I think it's a fictional zoo. I hope it's a fictional zoo. Um, but he's very good at what he does, uh, except his uh, hot girlfriend, uh, Stephanie, I think. Stephanie? Yeah, Stephanie doesn't like, the fil- doesn't like his job. So when five years ago, when he tried to propose to her, she outright said no and broke his heart. Uh, he decides to stay at the job, but he's still hurting um and five years later stephanie comes back into his life and he feels like maybe he should pursue her again uh but the the secret here is that the animals actually know how to talk um so the talking animals they all meet up and they don't want uh griffin to go because he's such a great zookeeper so they decide to help griffin uh get the the woman of his dreams i wrote in the in the uh in the in the notes that is the is the uh B word of his dreams, the which biatch. is kind of true. Yeah, the biatch of his dream, which is true because Stephanie really is a materialistic. All right, biatch. so 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 let me see if because I haven't seen the film, I've just seen the trailer. Let me see if I can predict the narrative. Okay. So he spent he gets all this training from the animals and he spends time and you know showing off his new skills and she gets more interested, but at the same time there's another nicer girl yes. who happens to come along and happily ever after at some point. You know what? The mistake is that they casted Rosario Dawson as the nice, kind of pretty, but not as pretty as the blonde female lead girl. Because you know Rosario Dawson, Dawson is hot. And and they, the way they code the Stephanie character, she, that she's so mean that you know that he's not going to stay with her by the end of the film. And But here's so the animals, they help him, but then of course they teach him these stupid tricks and none of it really works. Um, and somehow... For some reason, Griffin managed to find his confidence, and he gets the girl of his dream once more. But of course, he regrets the decision, blah blah, and decides to go back to the zoo. Um, one of the main, other main, main plots is his bond with this gorilla uh, called um, Benny, I think Bernie, if not Benny. Um, and it's a uh, he. The, the the gorilla is actually was once abused by his taker, who was played by Donnie Wahlberg here. Um, so the whole, the whole, uh, one of the other main plots is uh, actually um, Griffin's uh, friendship with Bernie, uh, especially after after they start talking to each other, and and it gets really silly because at one point Griffin takes Bernie out to TGI Fridays, and they spend a whole night 
playing at TGI Fridays. Yeah, I know it sounds really strange, but yeah, that's what happens. Um, Actually, so, when um, I saw the trailer, that looked like the best part of the movie. That really is the funniest <laughs> part of the movie. But it makes I was no like, sense. I want to go to Fridays. I haven't been to Fridays in ages. Yes, they go to. We actually go to the Fridays in TST next week. Let's go to Fridays in. Oh, TST. they have one here. Yeah, there's like one in TST. Really? Yeah, all the place. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sweet. Because I, I was talking with um, with uh, Gia about it, and she's like, "Well, what's Fridays?" And I was like, "Well, it's kind of like a Dan Ryan's or Ruby Tuesdays kind of a thing, you know, American food." And I was like, "Next time we go back to the states, I'll you know I'll take you to one." And, and nah, it's Tigger TST, dude. Yeah, I didn't know that. It's on Nathan. Sweet. Yeah, it's on Nathan. Um, I'll send you a link later. I'm open rice. But yeah, so so. That, that you can tell this movie is a fantasy. Um, the problem is that the movie goes from being a fantasy to just thinking the audience is stupid. Um, because, you know, Kevin James is a very likable comedian. He seems like a down-to-earth guy, especially uh, on on um, what King of Queens, where he just plays kind of a regular guy, a regular Joe. But um, his character kind of borders on being dumber than the animals. Because, mm. I mean, he, he's taking advice from the animal, and the animals are teaching him these complete... And, and isn't it basically advice. him doing the same thing that he did in, um, in Hitch? You know, where... Pretty much, except dumber, because, you know, the bears are talk, uh, teaching him how to walk like bears. So, I mean, if he's trying to walk like bears, it's going to look like silly, but, but he's doing it out in the open during opening hours in the zoo, and it makes no sense because he somehow don't know that walking like a bear like, makes him look like an idiot. Or when the wolf teaches him that he's got to mark his territory by urinating in, in, in where he is, he goes on and urinates in a, in, a, in a nice fancy restaurant to mark his territory. You know, it's these kind of act that one makes you wonder, okay, this guy's a great zookeeper, but do you really want him running the zoo? You know, the zoo has lions and, and you know, elephants and bears, but you got this guy who is stupid enough to take advice, totally, you know, advice that don't work and from the animals. And you're just wondering, you know, who are these people? Um... But of course, you can't really blame the animals for being smarter than Kevin James because they are voiced by people like Adam Sandler and Judd Apatow and Sylvester Stallone and Cher. And of course, Nick Nolte as Bernie the gorilla, which was awesome, by the way. I didn't notice it was Nick Nolte for a while. Um, Adam Sandler was doing this Ray Charles thing for a while and I had no idea it was him. It was really strange. Uh, Sylvester Stallone is great because he's like the alpha, the alpha lion who keeps talking about the wild, except he was raised in captivity. So it's just kind of hilarious. It's kind of funny. Um, so there's a couple of laughs to be had. Um, but the problem is that Frank Karachi is a really sloppy director. It feels like there are moments literally where the, the scene ends in the middle where you have a reaction shot by a character, but the whole conversation doesn't feel finished and then comes to the next thing. It's really sloppily directed or sloppily edited, um, so to speak. Um, it's so bad that I would say it's nearly offensive, but... You know that movie of Talking Animal is really for the kids, so I, I, I shouldn't harp on it that much because ultimately I'm sure the kids will, will laugh at it, and even I laughed a couple of times. Mm. The problem is that the film had five writers credited. You know, when you have five writers credited to a Hollywood film, you know, double the number of that many writers worked on it. But for, uh, somehow I think not only did the technical team work harder on the, on the animatronics and the animal mouth talking and things like that, not only did they work harder, I think, they were smarter than the filmmakers. Hmm. <laughs> it's just, this movie is so stupid. You wonder why it took five writers to write something this stupid <laughs> or write characters this stupid. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's. I can remember when I heard first heard that the film was being produced um, some time ago. And I was just thinking to myself, are they, are, are they kidding? Am I, are they kidding me? I mean, because this, <laughs> I thought they were basing it simply off of the video game, you know, because there's, there's a big boom in video game-based movies. 
um, and game-based movies, Battleship being one. Um, I think Asteroids is still in production. Um, I've heard also Space Invaders. Um, and then this one, Zookeeper, because Zookeeper, for you youngins out there, was one was also a very old arcade game and it was it was sort of a paint-in game where you basically there were animals all were escaping and you had to build a fence around them and depending on how many you built the fence around and closed the fence off you would get more points and whatnot um and i thought you know it's it's these simple concepts that they're taking and trying to build into movies um and it doesn't really mention the video game here when when you read up on the movie on movie sites but it's it's part of that same batch, you know. It's part of that that same Space Invaders, Asteroids, um, that's Battleship that's suddenly gotten you know out there and is actually being made now. So it, I don't know. It just kind of makes me wonder if these guys are out there just reaching for straws. I really had no idea. I Me, mean, I thought it was just um, another you know talking animal movie. I yeah. guess, and it just feels like they they spent more effort on on getting the actors to do the film, you know, so, like the voices are brilliant, you know, versus the lonely share and Nick Nolte doing their thing. And they're actually hilarious, but then you have a story that's, you know, really sloppy and the direction that's really sloppy, but then you had really people who work really hard parts of actually parts of the animal talking felt like they just put on like bad dubbing on, on real animal documentaries in part, because, you know, you can kind of, you can barely see the animal's lips, uh, moving because the shots are so quickly cut. Um, but then in the credits, you see that at one point there's an ostrich. Uh, Kevin James will ride on an ostrich. And instead of having an actual ostrich, I mean, of course, God forbid, who the hell would want Kevin James on a real ostrich? They had a guy in a blue suit and they had Kevin James jump on him. <laughs> and you know, I thought that part was actually funnier than, than most of the movie. And it just kind of tells you how, even for a movie as bad as this, you have really hardworking people working on the film to make to do what they do and you get the feeling that they worked much much harder than the filmmakers did <laughs> and that's kind of sad um so but you know like i said kids are gonna have fun um somehow so tv it if you have kids because you know you can't avoid a talking animal movie if you have kids but otherwise um that was unless it's animal know. farm and then you yeah, can avoid it yeah okay <laughs> animal farm or even uh watership down <laughs> Yeah, something like that. And but otherwise, uh, yeah, I would say flee it. Or, or Fritz the cat. No, 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 no Fritz the cat. Uh, all right. You mentioned it had Donnie Wahlberg. I was thinking, have you ever seen um, uh, Andy Samberg do Mark Wahlberg on yes. SNL, where he's like, "Say hello to your mother." What's yeah, up, say donkey? Hello to... <laughs> say hello to your mother for me. You know, it's say like hello mother to me. Yeah, say hello to your mother for me. They're been great if they would got Mark Wahlberg in the film. You know, coming out talking yeah. to the animals. <laughs> yeah, telling talking to the animal and say, "Hey, say hello to your mother for yeah. me." All right, M- missed say opportunity. Uh, zookeeper, see it or not, flee it, <laughs> flee. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right, uh, we're not really going to cover any comments this week. Haven't had any really uh, in-depth comments. Uh, Gary Lau wrote in, said he finished up uh, his uh, 
his stint as an extra over on the the new what is it uh total recall film Total recall um so hopefully that went well good experience uh, i'm looking forward to the remake and i have to sit down and watch the original at some point again it's been a while since i've seen it um so yeah but if you'd like to get in touch with us at the show there are multiple ways in which you can do that uh, we are on Stitcher Radio, so as always, you can find us there. You can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, or your WebOS phone. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your App Store or at Stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. You can also find out what we're doing, and <clears throat> excuse me, hmm. you can find all the show notes. That's that's my Monday voice. Can you hear that? It's all like gravelly and the scratchy. Mondays. I've got the Mondays. You know, it's a yeah. I'm in Garfield mode right now, so I have mm. to apologize. Um, so yeah, you can find us, find out more information. You can find all the show notes and everything over at our website www.concast.com. Um, you can also leave comments there and uh, start some conversations, and we'll talk about some of that here on the show. Of course, you can always find us on iTunes, and we'd be very happy if you leave us some feedback there. If you like the show, leave us a five star review, or a four-star or three-star or two-star or one-star, uh, whatever you think the show rates is worth, and any feedback that you have for us, we would greatly appreciate. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter. You can follow the show at twitter.com slash concast, and you can follow Mr. Ma over at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. Um, speaking of following Mr. Ma, uh, where, what are you going to be writing about or doing, or are you going to be too busy to um, be doing any web-based stuff this week? Oh, this week... Actually, it's all about web-based stuff. Um, this week, I'll be reviewing pretty much all the movies that's opening in Hong Kong. So, uh, I'll be doing Abduction, of course, starring Taylor Notner, um, now, Johnny now, English Reborn. That's yeah. abduction, right? Because his abs get abducted. Herbs, jab, Team Jacob, <laughs> Team Jacob, baby. Sorry. Uh, yes, abduction. I hear it takes off. He takes his shirt off within four minutes of the film. So I'll know. I'll know tomorrow. But uh, I just I'm going to. Um, to the premiere screening, so I'm expecting all the girls to go woo and everything whenever we take off his shirt. Uh, yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we got that. Um, remember, directed by John Singleton, who did Boys in the Hood. Remember, it's Boys street, in the Hood. street, yo. Abduction. Sorry. <laughs> Boys in the Hood to abduction. Think about that, that career arc. Um, also, I'll be doing uh, Johnny English Reborn. Um, also, I think Shark Knight 3D. I didn't really want to do it, but of course, that's my job. So I will be doing that film as well. And you can see all those reviews by the end of Hurry by this weekend on www.ypmovies.com.hk. Click on the English page and you will see um, not only these reviews, but also reviews for this past weekend's films, including Columbiana, Apollo 18, and of course, Zookeeper. Mm. Excellent. Um, yeah, we'll talk about some of those, I think, in, in the next show. Uh cool. I'd like to say a big thanks, though, to everybody out there who supports us in one way or the other. A uh, big thanks to Rob Gobers uh, over at Snauzer Studios for the theme. Uh, Ross Chen of LoveHongKongFilm.com, or LoveHKFilm.com, excuse me, um, for organizing our movie nights here in Hong Kong and keeping us active in local cinema. Of course, big thanks to Kevin for being here week to week and keeping us on the straight and narrow. And, of course, a big thanks to all you listeners for tuning in in whatever way you do, whether you listen to us on the live show or you listen to us uh, sort of in post as a podcast. Uh, we appreciate that you're out there, and uh, it makes things all the more interesting for us here 
as we enjoy. No problem. You know, I got to thank you for all the hard work you put in to the show, despite your uh, increasingly busy schedule. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. And, well, we love it. That's why we do it. And, of course, I have to thank Apple for all their cool technology that allows me to do it with ease. I think if I was trying to do this 10, 15 years ago, I would have given up by now. <laughs> <laughs> but, fortunately, I only have to press, press a couple buttons here and there, uh, and uh, things, are, things are fairly easy. So, uh, that's that. I'm, I'm, I'm not the technical expert that I wish that I was, but I'm learning. Um, so next episode will be episode 86, and what we'll be looking at uh, looks like the new Jackie Chan film, 1911. Uh, not sure what to expect from that. It's going to have a lot of nationalism, I'm guessing, because it is a national, a China national holiday film release. Um, but we'll also be fortunate to see the Green Snake remake, also coming out later this week, that is called The Sorcerer and the White Snake, starring none other than Jet Li, who has said... I want to say twice now that he's not doing any more kung fu or martial arts roles, and he keeps well, coming back. He's doing. Uh, he's doing. Um, what's the word here? Sorcerer. Sorcering. Sorce- it's a sorcerer yeah. role. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he's doing some sorcering, so he's, it's not really martial yeah, he's, arts. It's, he's he's in the world of Harry Potter. Yes. Um, okay, and uh, he's going to be fighting the White Voldemort snake thing. I guess <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Um, also, hopefully, we'll be able to cover Johnny English Reborn, and if I can possibly build up the courage, Shark Knight 3D. Uh, but I'm going to have a lot of courage building to get me out to see that film. I used to have nightmares from uh, Jaws, I'll tell you. All of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody.